Good morning, Providence. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege to uh, bring the message to you this morning. We are continuing our series through emotional, healthy spirituality, and in your community groups, you should be discussing these chapters. And when we're up here preaching, we're not going to be preaching through the chapter line by line. We expect you to be talking about that in your CGs. But we are hitting on these themes that are covered in that book by Pete Scazzaro, and we highly recommend this resource to you. Today, we're going to be talking about the wall. And no matter who you are here today, there is either a wall somewhere in your past, somewhere in your present, or somewhere in your future. And I'm just here to walk you through that idea, that concept, and um, I'm praying that the Spirit of God will meet you Uh, as you ponder this reality. What is the wall and what are we talking about? Um, Hudson, you can go ahead and throw up my one and only slide. The team says I need slides more and so I have one. Uh, I'm not good at details and so clicking through slides is just too distracting for my brain. Uh, But I have this slide and we're going to leave it up the whole time because it's simpler and I'm going to reference it a few times. Um, This concept, uh, stage theory, comes out of a book called The Critical Journey, and Pete Scazzaro references this book as well as this little chart in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Uh, and several pastors who teach on this reference this same book and use this same chart. And depending on who you're listening to or what you're reading online about this uh, journey, you'll sometimes see the wall here in this current location between stages three and four, You'll also sometimes see it between stages four and five. It doesn't really matter where you see it. The wall kind of functions almost like a gate if you approach it the right way. And I'm going to explain this. Don't worry. Uh, But it's either at the front of your journey into stage four or it's at the front of your journey to stage five. What are these stages? This is just kind of the picture of your journey with God throughout your Christian life. This is a theory that we go through our Christian life and our discipleship to Jesus in stages. And these are not necessarily like you're in stage, don't think of stage one like kindergarten and stage two, first grade, and you're just going through these grades. Don't think of them that way because that would not be helpful for you. They're more like seasons of life. And you may, at different points of your journey, find yourself in stage one or in stage two or in stage three. You may go back through certain stages. So I'll just give you kind of the overview of these first three stages. Stage one is life-changing awareness of God. This is where many of you uh, came to faith in Jesus. And depending on the church background you come from, you might call that being born again. You might call that getting saved. You might call that becoming a disciple of Jesus. This is where you began a journey with Jesus and with God himself. You move into stage two at some point, which is discipleship. And this is all about learning this stage. You're getting as much information and facts about God as you can. And really, for a lot of people in this stage, you're like somebody who's very hungry because they haven't eaten for a while. And now there's this banquet set up before you and you're just eating. You're consuming all of this information I grew up in a church that was very heavy on stage two. This is a segment, the segment of Christianity in which I was raised is very heavy on this. A lot of knowledge. Their goal was to impart Bible knowledge to us, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, I went through Sunday school and Awana, and I had to memorize large portions of Scripture, and it actually has served me well for my life. But this is where 
You're taking in a lot of knowledge and you're learning. Then you're moving into stage three. You get kind of frustrated because you reach this point in your life where you're like, okay, I don't need any more Bible studies. I don't need any more scripture memory. I need to go out and do something. You find this burning passion to go out and do something with the knowledge and information that you've gained. And so stage three is all about missional activity. And we are all about missional activity here at Providence. We think missional activity is good. Jesus has called us, sent us out as missionaries into our neighborhood and community here. But eventually, you will, if, as you go through that, it's entirely normal to reach a point where you find yourself discouraged, burned out maybe, disenfranchised maybe, wondering if everything is actually working the way that you thought that it would. Like if I... If I memorized all these verses, and I know all of these facts, and I can pass these Bible quizzes, why is my life so hard right now? You start to be aware of deep turmoil in your own soul and in your own life. This may be brought on, actually, by suffering that you encounter, difficult circumstances in your life. This may be brought on by just this internal angst where you find yourself questioning everything. In fact, you may experience what we've been referring to as deconstruction here. This is where that happens, where you're like, is what I've been taught actually true? Can I really depend on this? Can I build my life on this? Is my faith worth it? That experience, wherever it hits you, where you find yourself stuck and maybe scared, terrified, anxious, you find yourself doubting, that experience is what Schizero and others are referring to as the wall. And I'm just going to walk you through briefly my recent experience of this, and I think you'll be able to hear how my going through it might make sense of what you may be going through. Or you may look back at your life and say, okay, five years ago, I think I hit a wall, and this helps me make sense. So I'm just going to take a few minutes and explain my journey through this wall. Most recently, I actually think growing up in the church, I experienced a wall. You, I've experienced it in multiple places in my life. In my early 20s, I experienced it uh, when my parents who were in ministry ended up going through a divorce, and that just kind of rocked my world because I didn't have any categories for pastors getting divorced. They didn't teach us about that in the discipleship stage. <laughs> My understanding was, if you read your Bible and prayed every day, everything would be okay, and that included marriage. Um, and so I hit a wall uh, at that stage of my own dad's journey. He was, he was going through his own wall at the time, uh, and he went through some massive deconstruction and came out saying, I don't believe any of it anymore, which in my early 20s, as the man that I looked up to for all of my life, that caused me to go through some deconstruction. I say... Uh, when I talk about deconstruction, I didn't choose to go through deconstruction. I never sat back and thought, let me evaluate what I'm thinking. Deconstruction was just kind of put on me because I found myself in a place where I had to examine what do I actually believe and is this sufficient to carry me through life? And that was a crisis of faith. That was a wall. You can respond to this wall in certain ways. You can go through it. You can meet God in it. And we're going to talk about this. You can follow him through it. This is Jesus in the garden saying, Lord, if it's, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
That's, he's facing this wall. I don't want to go through this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's following his father in obedience through it. But oftentimes, the first time we run into the wall, we just kind of hit our heads against it, and we get disoriented, and we go back to previous stages, which is what I did. I was like, well, this didn't work because I was told if I just pray, I can pray my parents out of this. I can pray this marriage. If I've got enough faith, I can pray this marriage back together. And it didn't work. So I started wondering what was wrong with my faith. What was, what was wrong in my life that God was judging me and my parents for this? So this became my fault. And I found myself moving back to stage two and doing as much learning as I could do to figure out if I could just solve this problem for everybody involved. And it didn't work. Uh, so then I actually moved into stage three. We came out here to Denver. I was going to be a youth pastor. I hit a wall there. We can talk about that another time. Then I got invited by some friends of mine to join them in planting a church here in Denver. There were some walls along the way of that journey. Um, but I, really, I was really active in stage three during my late 20s, early to mid 30s. Stage three, I was all about the mission and running myself thin. Uh, I mean, my wife would frequently say, we can't do more things. We can't. We can't fit more stuff. And I would say, well, I love Jesus. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, So eventually, eventually the doing and doing and doing will wear you out. Uh, And so actually, it was a couple of years ago now, it was October of 2021, I ran into a wall. And it was as a result of this very conversation. We were having this conversation as community group leaders. We went through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Assessment. And some of you have taken that. I would encourage all of you to take it. But I went through it as somebody who has gone to Bible college, grew up in a Christian home. I'm a pastor. I'm a community group leader. I went through that assessment and realized I was an adolescent and an infant in places in my own spiritual journey. And that rocked my world. Why am I 40 plus and still at infancy in my spiritual life? And I realized that God used that assessment and then also a sermon that we listened to, which is by far better than this sermon. And you can go listen to it afterwards. Uh, It's a sermon called The Maturity You Long For by John Tyson. And he's talking about the wall in that sermon. And at the end, we just watched it online together as CG leaders, but at the end, he prayed this prayer, and I just felt the Spirit take this and burrow it deep into my heart and say, okay, Josh, now is the time, and we're going to go through this wall together. And I was terrified. I still have my journal entries from that day, and I was terrified. But I knew I could go back or I could go forward, and I just said, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to go forward. I'm going to just take a step. The only step I could think of and commit to at that time was I'm going to go talk to my counselor. That was all I could do. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to respond to this. The Spirit was illuminating things in my heart and in my life and in my faith that I needed to deal with. And so I just said, I'll take a step. I'll go talk to my counselor. I scheduled it, and I went and as I, the whole drive down, my counselor lives in Parker, and so the whole drive down, 40 minutes, I'm weeping in my car. And if you know me, I don't do that a lot. Um, but I just, it was un, I was uncontrollably crying the whole drive down there. And I got to his house, his home office, and he brought me in, and 
I had pulled myself together, and he said, Josh, how are you doing? And I just broke. And I just sat there in his office and cried for 10 minutes straight. And he, as he always does, just sat there and said, bless you. Bless you. Throughout the whole time, thank you. Um, he never said, are you ready to talk? Yep. <laughs> but I just started opening up. And for the next hour and a half, I poured out everything. I, had, I came to learn that one of the things about being a Larson is you give yourself to full-time ministry and you get really good at hiding sin. Because if you're in leadership, in church leadership, you can't let people know where you're struggling. You can't do that because they need you to be strong. That's the lie. And that has carried through generations of Larsons. I found this out uh, at first with my own father, but then I found some old letters from my grandmother and found out that she struggled with this as a pastor's wife. And generations before her, that in le once you get into church leadership, you put up your own barrier and you don't let anybody see you. And you just go on being not known. And so what the Spirit of God did in this meeting with my counselor is just break that down and just let it all come out. And when you face the wall, depending on your personality, and we talk a lot about personality types here, depending on your personality, I'm an Enneagram 6, and so whether or not you like the Enneagram, I'm a 6, and I struggle with fear. Uh, in fact, 5, 6, and 7, if that's any of your types, Fear is your day-to-day -day existence, and you understand that. And this is how you respond to crises, fear. And I felt, <laughs> I see that hand, bless you. Uh, fear, but if you're another type, if you're one, eight, or nine, you struggle with anger. Anger is your response to a crisis or to the wall. When you hit the wall, you find yourself angry, probably. If you're a two, three, or four, you feel shame, tremendous shame, I'm worse than I thought I was. I can't even bear to look at myself in the mirror because I'm despicable. God must be sick of me. Shame. Generally speaking, as I read uh, the book, uh, Critical Journey, has multiple chapters on the wall. And they talk about several responses to the wall. And you really can categorize those responses with one of those three emotions. You're either going to feel, when you hit the wall, a lot of anger, a lot of fear, or a lot of shame. And so as you look at your own life over these last couple of years, or even now, if you're feeling a lot of those things, you might be facing this wall. But God used this opportunity to, for me to free me from these generational traps, this slavery, to free me from my sin. I had to go have conversations with my wife and with the elders. And through this process of being known, God delivered me. He delivered me. He himself met me at the wall and said, okay, let's go through this together. And he walked me through it and set me free. And so with the rest of my time, I want to invite you into that journey or prepare you for it because maybe you're not facing a wall right now, but you will be. I want to prepare you for it and give you some hope. I also want to say you're never too young or too old to hit this wall. You can hit this wall in your teen years. You can hit this wall in your 20s. You can hit this wall at midlife. You can hit this wall when you're a senior citizen. You can hit this wall at any point in your journey, and you can be prepared for it and face it with courage and faith, no matter how old you are. Amen. Looking at Matthew chapter 26, we see three men facing, hitting the wall, and three men responding in this way. 
we see Judas, Peter, and Jesus all hitting the wall. We're going to start with Judas. Judas and Peter were both disciples of Jesus. Scholars say that the disciples were called somewhere probably either in their late teenage years to early to mid-20s. They were somewhere in that range. So if you're a teenager here this morning, this is for you. They've reached a point where they had been studying their Bible their whole lives. They knew the Bible probably better than most of us do. They knew the Old Testament, the law. They had memorized huge portions of it. And they were devoting themselves to living out what they believed. And when Jesus came along as a rabbi, he would say to them, come and follow me. And they would sign up. This is like a seminary or Bible college education. They would say, okay, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. I'm apprenticing over here to maybe be a fisherman. I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to apprentice under Jesus for the next however many years of my life. I'm going to give myself to this man and his teaching. And so these disciples, Peter and Judas, were called at an early age, and they decided to follow Jesus. Judas Iscariot made this decision. I will follow Jesus, and I will give myself to him. They had this saying about being covered by the dust of your rabbi. In other words, I'm going to follow him so closely that as he's walking, I will be covered with his dust. This is Judas. Judas seemed like a good kid, a good young man. He had given himself to stage one and stage two, and now he's giving himself to stage three. Judas is signing up for mission, and he's following Jesus. And it's the same for Peter. Peter had gone through, the, through those stages too. And now they've spent three years of their lives following this teacher, Jesus. Now imagine this. You have given up everything. You've left everything behind. Your family business, your home, and you're following this teacher for three years because you believe he has the keys to life. This is Judas and Peter. But then they get to the end of the story of Jesus's life of these three years. And Jesus starts saying things like, I am going to be killed. I'm going to die. In fact, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to die too. And this does not make sense to them. It doesn't make sense. And they both respond two ways to just the idea of Jesus dying. It seems like Judas responds with despair. And later in his life, we see it's actually shame. He responds to the idea of Jesus's death with shame. Because we see in Matthew 26, the story of Judas betraying Jesus, one of the most famous betrayals in all of history. He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He goes to the high priests and says, I can get him. I can identify him for you. I can help you arrest him, knowing that this was what would ultimately lead to Jesus's death. This is what this follower, I mean, a stage three believer is doing. He's betraying Jesus. And in Matthew 26, we find out that when Jesus is ultimately betrayed and crucified, Judas has so much guilt that he goes out and hangs himself. He tries to return the money that he took, and he goes out. They won't take it, and so he goes and he hangs himself. This is Judas's reaction to this wall. This is a deconstruction of faith at its deepest level. Judas has given himself, and at somewhere along the line, he said, okay, this is all a sham. There's nothing to this. We know that because he's the treasurer for the disciples, for their ministry fund, and he's stealing the money from the fund. We find that out in the Gospels. He's helping himself to the ministry funds along the way. So at some point, Judas said, I signed up for this, I was all in, and I realized this is not for me. And he just starts going backwards in his spiritual journey. 
It's easy to condemn Judas, but have you ever experienced that? Because I have. I've experienced growing up in the right family, going to the right church, knowing the right doctrine, and going backwards and saying, eh, I don't know. This seems a lot more attractive to me. Money seems a lot more attractive to me. Whatever it is, security, leadership seems a lot more attractive to me than just continuing down this path. And that's what Judas did. And ultimately, we know from Scripture that as you get pulled away and deceived by your own desires, it's always and only going to lead to death. That's where it leads. And so eventually, by a series of small decisions, Judas made a big one and a bad one. He betrayed the Son of God to his death and was a part of the murder of Jesus. Peter signed up for the same thing, went through all the same stages. We see the same thing in uh, Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. We see Peter's own story with this wall. Remember when Jesus first told Peter about the idea that he was going to die? How did, how did Peter respond? When Jesus said, I am going to die, how did he respond? No, Jesus said that to Peter. Yes, yes. What did Peter say to Jesus first? Yeah, it's not going to happen. In fact, it says, the text says, Peter rebuked Jesus. This is not shame. This is anger. Peter's meeting this wall that is threatening to undermine his idea of who Jesus is. It's undermining his faith. And when he meets the wall, he responds in anger. This will never happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus never said that to Judas, by the way. He said that to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And then when Jesus is in the garden, he's praying. Remember, he sweats drops of blood because he's praying so urgently, let this cup pass from me. Then he gets up and Judas betrays Peter. The next minute after Judas betrays Peter and they go to arrest Jesus, how does Peter respond to that wall? How does he respond? Anger, chopping off a soldier's ear. This is anger. This is you are not going to kill him. This is not how this is going to play out. I am not participating in this. I'm in control. I will show you how this is going to work out. And he goes for his sword and he cuts off somebody's ear. And Jesus says, no, this is not how this is going to work, Peter. Responds to it in anger. We see the anger when he's being questioned by these servant girls that we just read about in Matthew 26. where They're like, I think I saw you with him. He's like, no, I didn't. I think I saw you. I think, I think you're the same guy. He gets angrier and angrier until he's swearing at people. I don't know him. This is how Peter's responding to the wall. He's not responding any better than Judas, is he? This is not any better. Peter is not, has not somehow learned secrets in stage two that are now helping him go through the wall with courage and faith. He's responding similarly to Judas, just with different emotions, He's angry about it. And then when Jesus finally dies, he says, I'm going fishing. This was a waste. This was a waste. I thought he was going to overthrow Rome, and now he's dead. I don't know what else to do. I'm going fishing. Peter didn't respond any better than Judas did. But here's what Peter didn't do. Peter didn't make the decision to end his life over this. Peter didn't follow this to its sometimes awful, logical conclusion. Because if you reach the conclusion, when people reach the conclusion, the writers of the book, The Critical Journey, 
that says, Nothing I, everything I believe is a lie and there's no hope in this world. The logical solution is suicide. And you see people do this in, actually in increasing numbers, especially among our young people right now, when they look at life and they say it's all empty and meaningless. For some reason, by the grace of God, Peter went through this experience and said, actually, no, they're still fishing. <laughs> I can still do something. I can still make a living. I'm going to go fishing. And he didn't end his life, but Judas did. Judas's faith wore out. I actually, as I was preparing for this sermon this week, just happened to hear a lyric in a song where the singer is talking about you wearing the cross of a faith that died before Jesus came. And that so resonated with me in the story of Judas. His faith died before Jesus could come to him and say, Judas, Judas, what'd you do? I think, I think if, G if Judas had hung in there, we might have seen a similar response to what we see Jesus do with Peter. Where when Peter goes fishing, Jesus goes to him after he's resurrected. And he says, Peter, do you love me? The end of John that's how John, the Gospel of John, closes out. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And in three, asking the question three different times, Jesus actually assures Peter of his own love for him. And he says, Peter, they're going to come for you. If you're going to feed my sheep, they're going to come for you, and they're going to drag you to places that you don't want to go. And John says, Peter, that Je John says Jesus was preparing Peter for the sort of death he was going to die. We actually know from church history that eventually Peter was crucified only as a true challenger. He said, you're going to crucify me upside down. I'm in control of this last thing. I don't deserve, I don't deserve to be crucified like my Lord. I will be crucified upside down. And so Jesus, Jesus was right. They dragged him to places he didn't want to go, and he was crucified but over that journey, by the time he got to his own Garden of Gethsemane, he was transformed. He was a different man than the one we read about in the Gospels. Because in his first epistle to the churches, 1 Peter, he spends chapters of that letter preparing the church to suffer unjustly. When he was following Jesus into the garden and he saw his friend suffering unjustly, he pulled out a sword to kill him and to stop it. In his later years, as he journeyed into maturity in Christ, he told the church, don't do what I did. If you suffer unjustly, do what Jesus did, who, when he suffered unjustly, turned himself over to one who always judges justly. Amen. He didn't answer with reproach. He turned himself over to the just and righteous judge. So Peter was transformed, but not because he got some mysterious thing right, not because he learned a secret that Judas didn't learn, because Jesus himself came for Peter and said, Peter, I'm here, I'm here. Are you ready? Are you ready to go through this with me? Are you actually ready? Earlier in his discipleship journey, he would have said yes, but then he would always put his foot in his mouth and say the wrong thing. And here by the lake, as Jesus is seeing Peter again, he says, Peter, let's go. I'm here to go through this with you. And Peter went through it, and it changed his life. How did that happen? I believe that Jesus' core, one of his core missions right now, one of the things that he most loves to do is to help his children through this wall, 
is to be there for you in the moment when you think nobody is there for you. Authors and psychologists will call this experience of going through the wall the dark night of the soul. This is not getting a traffic ticket. This is not not finding a space to park in. This is not running out of gas on the side of the road. This is not those sort of things. The wall is heavy, deep. This can last years of suffering and hardship and anxiety and rage. This is big. This is a big thing that you're going through. And it's here that Jesus meets us and says, remember, remember I said I would be crucified, but those that come after me are not greater than me. And if you're going to come after me, you've got to carry your cross too. So let's go through this together. How did Jesus respond to the wall? Well, he responded to the wall with fear. Not shame, not anger. He actually responds with fear. He tells his disciples, I am anxious, I'm disturbed to the point of death. Pray with me. I am terrified. I know what I'm about to go through. I am troubled to the point of death. This is fear that Jesus felt. How did he respond to it? He didn't say, I'm going to cut somebody's ear off. He didn't say, I'm out. I'm not going through this. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Remember that? That's how that prayer ended, by the way. There's nothing wrong with praying, God, let this cup pass from me. God, I don't want to go through this. But ultimately, the conclusion of that prayer was, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Father, I don't want to go through this but I trust you. And if you're leading me through this, I will follow you. I will follow you. And this is what Jesus did. And as he started his journey through the wall, every one of his friends left him. It wasn't just Judas, and it wasn't just Peter. It was everybody. One of them left naked because the soldiers tried to restrain him, and he slipped out of his clothes and fled. They left him. They left him. And he was abandoned, and he went through it alone. But how do we know that he went through it right other than the fact that we know that he's Jesus, the perfect son of God? Because we see somebody on the cross that we shouldn't be able to even comprehend or recognize. Because on the cross, he's not saying, I will kill all of you, which is how somebody dealing with anger would respond, (laughs) right? And he's not saying, ugh, I deserve this. I deserve this. He's not saying that. And he's not even scared anymore. You read the gospel accounts of his death. It does not seem like a man who's scared. He's in great agonizing pain, but he's secure and he's confident. And he's using his last and final words to bless and forgive others. Father, forgive them. Not father, kill them. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. Not get me out of here. Get me off of this. Not that. I, I turn myself, even in this moment of death, I turn myself over to you, Father, and into your hands. I commend my spirit. And then he says, it is finished. And then almost immediately in John's gospel, after he's resurrected, he's on the road to go find Peter. He's coming for Peter to meet him at his wall and say, we can get through this. I went through it. We can get through this. 
Jesus himself went through the wall alone so that when you meet your own wall, you will have a friend. You will always have a friend. Not a judge. Not somebody who says, you should have gone through this 10 years ago. Not a judge. Not somebody who's condemning you. A friend. A friend. Not an unhappy parent with hands at his hips saying, you're still struggling with this? You're still here? I, I thought that I taught you everything you needed in stage two. I thought that you loved your neighbor in stage three. If you loved your neighbor, how come you're here? That's not who you meet at the wall. You meet Jesus, the friend and brother that you've never had. This is a friend like no other friend who meets you in this place and says, come on, let's go through this together. So whatever that thing is, I don't know what that thing is that's in your future or is in your past or maybe that you're struggling with right now and it's been years of hardship and pain. I don't know what it is and I don't know how you're wired to respond to it. But I would encourage you as we go through this journey of emotional health that you would take that assessment, that you would do an inventory of your soul and say, where am I feeling the most anger in my life right now? Where am I feeling the most shame in my life right now and despair? Where am I feeling the most fear and anxiety in my life right now? And when you find it, don't turn away from it. It's normal. I don't fault you for it. It's a normal thing to run away from an oncoming train. That's normal. But I'm telling you, the gospel calls you into something deeper and bigger, to stand firm, to find Jesus in the midst of it, and to follow his lead through it. This is the only path forward to Christian maturity. You will not be mature if you remain, you will not be spiritually mature if you remain emotionally immature. And if you do not go through this refining fire, this furnace, you will never see the gold that comes out on the other side. We think of this as death. This is going to kill me. And Jesus would say, yeah, that might be true, but there's a door at the back of death that I have opened for you, and you can go through death itself and come out better than you are now. So follow me through it. So my prayer for you, I want to use my last couple of minutes to just pray for you, and I just want to encourage you to start asking yourself this question. I heard it uh, from John Mark Comer, a pastor who was preaching on this, and he asked the question, what is Jesus, where is Jesus leading you to go that you would rather not go? Right now in your life, I want you to ask yourself that question. I'm just going to take two minutes and just pray over you for two minutes. But I want you to ask that question. Right now, where is Jesus leading you to go that you would rather not go? And I, I want to pray for you right now. Father, I don't know all of the inner struggles in this room. I don't know all of the fears. I don't know all of the things that bring shame. I don't know all of the anger. But I do know that our enemy wants to use this wall as a means of blocking us from coming to the full measure of the knowledge of Christ. And God, I pray, I pray for everybody in this room that they would hear your invitation to meet you in this space and join you on this journey through this wall. Father, I pray you'd give them great courage this morning. 
Because even this morning, they're going to need to make decisions. Okay, if this is a wall, I'm going to need to go through it, and I'm going to need to take a step. And they're going to need grace and courage and wisdom and humility even to just take that next step. But I pray, I pray that they would take one step. God, I pray that your spirit would come this morning and sit with people as we get ready to celebrate your son's last supper. Father, I pray your spirit would be palpable here, that he'd be whispering to your children, you can trust me. You can trust me. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will go through this with you all the way to the end. We can do this. Let's go. Father, I pray your spirit would go all the way down and invite people in, into this journey and through it. God, I pray for grace. I pray for a new step of faith in our body as a church. And I ask it in the name of our older brother, the faithful one, Jesus, our friend in the fire. I ask it in his name. Amen.